0: Look at the children, blooming excited. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? And look at the neighbors, blooming delighted.
1: Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? Spend the insurance, I murmured for
0: a lack. You know that I shan't be with you going back. Look at the missus. Blow me while well laughing, ain't it grand to be blowing me well dead?
1: This week, I'm joined by uh, Michael Livesley and Paul Carmichael, hosts of the Superlative Nice Things podcast. So I became a big fan of their podcast, which more or less started around the same time as this one. So I uh, I, I contacted them and said, you know, would you like to come on my little Goon Show podcast? And they said, absolutely. And so they, they rolled up and um, a, a splendid time was, was had by all. So... Uh, I began by asking them the circumstances in which they first heard the goons. Um, Well,
2: I remember exactly how I first came to the goons, and that was... What what year was it, Paul? That uh, fifty years of the BBC celebration. You always know these things. Was it eighty six? Um, eighty six. Mm. Eighty six. Wow, Tyler, you're on it. Mm. Um. So the wonderful thing about that was that BBC One and potentially two, I can't remember which, but they showed lots of compilation programs, which were just wonderful. You know, mm. you were literally soaking in the warm bath of TV history. Mm. Um. Yeah. And so you got to see everything. So the first, my first sight of the goons was a clip from the last goon show of all in mm. 73 mm. so obviously i was aware of spike um now every time spike milligan came on the telly my nan used to say the same thing she used to say stale bloody stale <laughs> <laughs> um because he'd been doing the same jokes since 1969 so uh, by the mid 80s you know uh, she'd had uh, enough of it there is some there is some truth to that well, that's just that's just the way it is. The, the man was a genius. Let mm. us not detract from that. Mm. Um, but his television output sort of... I always feel that, that Python delivered a blow that he never really recovered from because I always thought with Python that they kind of took what he did to a different level, made it more populist and, and had huge success... Whereas um, Spike didn't really have the success with effectively 95% of their approach was him.
3: Well, Palin's talked about that, hasn't he? Palin said how, you know, that they, when they were first coming together to make Python and they had all sorts of ideas of how to do it. And then suddenly there's Spike. He was cute. Yeah, and it's like, oh, Christ, they've that's what it. we were going to do.
2: Wasn't Q in, in, in black and white, though, the first one?
3: No, 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 no. So, um, they they lost half the tapes. Mm, so what so you've got is, what remains. yeah, you've got some uh, black and white 16 mils, and then I think <clears> you've got <throat> one or two color tapes left, yeah. um, and they've lost three of them uh, completely. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, God, Q, though. It's beautiful stuff isn't it i've i got the box set and i can't there's there's phrases in there which are clearly there because they haven't rehearsed properly um <laughs> there's a uh, a brilliant phrase which is bloody dabra <laughs> now and i've tried saying it in other various ways Ad- abra bloody cadabra does cadabra <laughs> and for some reason that just the rhythm yeah. is just wonderful.
2: But I mean, stuff. I was—I was aware, as I'm certain that Paul was. We were. It was—it was weird seeing the man who did, you know, religious telly on a Sunday, and the film star and the bloke off the telly together. They were this thing called the Goons, were they? Oh, okay, then. So, mm. so you know, I only ever remember Harry C. or is it Spike? Whoever had the mustard yellow cardigan in it. Um, <laughs> it's Harry. And, and, mm. Yeah, and Sellers does the line. You know, he's falling in the water, Spike does, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then they just they just sort of, you know, it was Spike, obviously, who said that. And then they go, hooray. I mean, I'm sure your listeners know it back to front. But so I sort of, there's that lovely, yellowy, mustardy, yellowy color that 1972 seems to have, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes. And um, there's that. There's there's Markham and Wise on Parkinson. And 1972, the year I was born. Seems to have this mustard yellow, you know, sheen to it. It's Mm -hmm. a weird thing, but um. Yeah, that's the first time I encountered them, but I was aware of them all independently. Mm. It's just like, wow, there's this collective. And the great thing about the 50th year anniversary special, and I'm sure there's many of chaps and ladies out there of my vintage, it was the first time I was aware of who Hancock was. And um, it was the first time, because it's like, oh, look, there's the fellow out of the Carry On films. So it was the first time he was aware of all that. And luckily, because I had, you know, my nan there, I was able to pester the hell out of her about all these people I'd never heard of. Um, and I think, going in and in hand with that, the radio probably were playing out a few old Hancocks and the Goons. That's my introduction to them.
1: I just sent you um a, 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 the most 1972 picture you'll ever see. Oh, uh, oh let's have a look. At hang this. on, I need to send it to you. Uh, Go on. Hang on a minute. Ah. Hang on.
2: We like 1972 pictures.
3: We uh, do. It's stained uh, by nicotine,
1: 1972. mm, Yeah, that'll be the yellow smearing. You're
2: quite right.
3: That's it. It's the spun with old hair of the men, which is just Benson and Hedges, Ronnie Allen. You've
2: explained the patina or the uh, patina, as they will Mm. insist on saying these. You've got. Here we are. Oh, look at that. On Twitter. Ah, wow, well, Basil Brush, yeah. <laughs> now that was a a treat. That was a real tw- treat for us. That, yes, I loved the Basil Brush show. Mm. I really
1: did as a kid.
2: As, as a kid, now that is the Christmas tree twinkling in the corner.
1: Mm. Yeah, oh, look, I love Basil. Look Brush. at the earthy colours there. Beautiful,
3: beautiful, <laughs> beautiful colors. A rhapsody in bronze. <laughs> yes. Oh, everything. Oh, I yeah. love that. That's even the records that he's holding. Look at that.
2: Didn't Perfect. he end up being the desk sergeant in Heartbeat? Yes. He did. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Tony Folds. Is
1: that yeah, Derek, name? Derek Folds. Thank Derek you. Folds. Yeah. Folds.
2: I oh. knew him well. It was Tony when I Mr. was Derek. <laughs> yes, um, Mr. Derek. Yes, Mr. Derek. I'm sure it was another bloke when I watched it.
3: Uh there, there
2: was yeah Mr Roy there mm. was uh, Mr there was, Roy that's the fella
3: Oh you had several uh, several with Basil absolutely but the Basil brush Oh he was show, a whore. oh he was but you watch the Basil <laughs> brush show now it holds up it absolutely oh, yeah. holds up god's yeah, good sure. stuff and I, that's sure. one of the things I've shown to my kids who, you know, I'll say to them, oh, I'm going to show you this. And they 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 pretend that they hate every second of it. But occasionally you hit on something and they watch it and they can quite happily sit through it. Not triangle. I've tried that a few times. They oh, just no, 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 no. <laughs> I can't sit through triangle. No, I know. We've got to work on that one, haven't we? But um, yeah, um, the, there's a magic to those programs, I think. There's a real magic. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the show.
0: Hello,
2: hello, hello, welcome to the show. Boom, boom.
3: (laughs) What about you, Paul? Um, Well, mine is, strangely, it's a similar nan scenario but rather weird one because my nan died before I was born my nan died uh apparently about uh two weeks after I must have been conceived now that I don't know if there's some sort of uh, <laughs> the other way around it would have seemed a bit strange a bit celebratory but no it was, yeah. uh, I, I had been conceived apparently um and I I share my sense of humor pretty much precisely with this woman who I never met um and she absolutely loved the goons, and she loved Hancock and she loved the Navy Lark. She hated the men from the ministry, though she absolutely hated the men from the ministry. But um, so I was introduced to, uh, to them, I think, largely through my granddad, who was absolutely no fan at all, but um, had some LPs, which were hers. Um, and he would put them on and I listened to them and I would fall about laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's a sort of a shared, a peculiar shared sense of humour that brought me to them and, and listening to them on my ground. He had this massive um, record player. It was the length of the room, one of those old sort of like uh, wooden units, lovely thing. Um, so it was firstly there. And then Radio 2, um, oh, I would have been maybe 13 or 14. So we're talking towards the end of the 80s. Um, Radio 2 started playing out some archive. And they played Journey into Space. And then around about Christmas, in fact, on Christmas Day, you would get a couple of um, archive uh, programmes. And there was always an episode of The Goon's being played so Mm. I remember them and there's this lovely cosiness for me because I associate the goons partly with this woman who apparently I'm I'm very much like but I never met and also with Christmas so I have lovely warming associations with the goons.
2: I feel that way as well even though Mm. I I didn't have that experience there is something but then there's something very much about that cosy BBC world that is Christmas and it is safe and it is Mm. um secure and warm and and i think that that's partly i think that us not having simply a couple of channels now leads to you know we've got we found more f- fragmentary aren't we because we all listen to or watch different tv channels you know you, when you go into in our case school but people who go into work on a monday they would have generally all have watched the same thing on a saturday night yeah. Yeah. and now it's kind of like oh I watched the box set oh i did this oh, I did. and it's just like <clears throat> there isn't that cohesion i think that the bbc as it stood Oh, the, uh, which I thought was a great gag, the Big Brother Corporation in in 1985. I I thought, I think that the BBC was at its peak from, you know, around about 55, to, ooh, I don't know, maybe could we stretch it to 85? I don't know what was it, the House of Elliot was, that was the last House thing. of Elliot's
3: 92, I mean that was oh, is it really that well, long, right? 92, so we, we are comp- pushing it there though. Well, <laughs> yeah. costume department. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't,
1: isn't TV, isn't TV meant good TV meant to have ended in 92? It, it, it does, it does with the House of Elliot. yeah It yeah. ends
0: in
2: 92. The disbandment <laughs> um, yeah. of the costume department and we, the radiophonic workshop. You
3: get that and you get the fact that they stop, largely they stop multi-camera drama, yeah. which means that you've got less drama because single camera takes forever to shoot. And they stop rehearsals. You know, these pieces used to be rehearsed like theatre for four or five days, and then they go into the studio for one day, and they had to get it done in one day. And then come 1992, suddenly that goes out the window and everything's being shot as though it's a film. And it's not a film. But, Hmm. you know, cinema and television are two very distinctly different art forms and now they're they're merging they're crossing over. yeah I I've, I'm
2: uncomfortable with that personally. TV's an art form with an identity crisis now massively, effectively. Massively. And, so, and and for that matter so cinema really. I think the last uh, movie I saw that looked like a movie was Joker. And yeah. that's potentially because it was being reverential towards Scorsese's work really. But I mean there's a lot to be said. For wobbly sets and personality. And there's everything to wrong when you have creatives in executive decisions because they will decide what the audience wants. It's like the Frank Zappa talk where he goes on about those cigar chomping guys, you know, who would go, Well, we don't understand it, but the kids seem to like it let them get on with it mm. and that's that's what's mm. missing now in tv because what you used to have was executives who would say oh i don't know what the hell you know um who's the finger bobs fella, apart
3: uh, Rick um, oh um
2: <laughs> Jones or something Rick Jones, it's Rick Jones, yeah. yes You know, them lot, as Paul will tell you I'm sure he'll follow up on this comment now You know, they'd be just smoking weed and cracking on and making amazing things for telly The guys on the top floor Bill Cotton or whoever it was couldn't give a monkey's kids like it, leave them to it Now you'd have Bill Cotton's equivalent who's like, you know, our subordinate or her subordinate who are deciding what is made that's well, not that's not the right way around at all. Yeah, oh. I
3: mean, the thing there, you're quite right. I mean, there was that lovely thing when they stupidly closed Television Centre because Michael Grade wanted to put some money into Pinewood, um, where um, David Attenborough was talking on that programme, uh, Goodbye TV Centre, and it's lovely because... Um, when he was controller of BBC2, he's discussing that, and he leans back at one point and he goes, I always knew when play school were in recording because of the stench of cannabis around the ring road. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) Milligan was most definitely a
3: bbc man
2: Absolutely. I, I, I there's a great series i only have one of them i think he does uh, like four seasons I've, I've got spring or summer yes on. well i've yes. got one of them i'll list all the seasons uh, i've got one of them and it's got girl on a pony on it and i love that song so much i recut uh, um the footage from that show and made it uh and and made it fit the george martin produced single so i'll send you the link to that if you want oh, please. i just thought that was such a great song because what i love about it is george martin's production and then spike's real contrapuntal idea of how music works you know it was a da, 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 da. and spike of course can't be content with just the rhythm of du, 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 du. he's got to have dig, 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 this mad one going off and you can just about <laughs> hear it but it still works mm. actually i think probably i knew ying tong before i'd seen that but i wasn't aware of what was what really i love the theme tune to Q. I i love that piano oh. that's something i really loved i always loved pianos and i i just loved that. i know i always loved and 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 again with Spike, you know, it wasn't just the, uh, it was like <laughs> it was like the bit of t- where it's just like, and you hear a bit of talk, and you're like, yeah. you know, for you to sort of see behind the curtain a little bit, is he gonna be able to put this back together? Yeah, he, he, like Max Wall was happy to take stand-up comedy apart on stage, mm. Spike was willing to take television apart, and sometimes it didn't work. Hence the bloody stale thing, you know, but when it worked, it was beautiful that, you know, when you saw the cutlery falling out the coat, when you saw the tags (laughs) on the, you know, you kind of knew what he was getting at. He was trying to just break apart the, um, the convention and, and something he did because i mean it, it was our fear of, of of the absurd wasn't it in brecht and stuff well it, like that's
3: that. the thing isn't it i mean what you've got if you think about when he starts really he starts in world war 2 and of course that's when we start to get bertolt brecht's work coming out yeah. where mm-hmm. we're getting we're getting art produced from the ashes of war Art produced from nothing, and I, I think there's something that's it's so Brechtian. Dada, wasn't it? As Absolutely, well,
2: it's very Dada, turning war into into that sort it, of into art,
3: concert, and and having all those different interpretations. And you could be right, and I could be right, and Spike may not know himself, which is the Dadaist element. But yeah. the whole Brechtian thing—that breaking the fourth wall of showing the cameras, of showing, uh, you know, behind the scenes—usually because you hadn't built the full set. That's pure Brecht. Yes. And again, the Goon Show, of course. I mean the goon the goon show is amazing because it's a radio show that can break the fourth wall. How the hell it does that? Because there's no fourth wall visible wow. to be broken, but yeah. it absolutely does. And I, for me. For me, it's it's beyond light entertainment and it's beyond comedy. It's it's theatre, it's it's proper theatrical oh, conventions that the stuff. Goon
2: Show uses brilliantly, beautifully. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of that the credit for a lot of that, I believe. I mean, Tyler will probably correct me here, but a lot of the sort of absurd sounds and stuff like that was uh, Professor Bruce Lacey, mm-hmm. um, who who, you know. People aren't aware who Professor Bruce mm. Lacey is, but for mm. those who aren't, he was half of the Alberts yep. who, who were the British comedy duo who did, uh, I think it was an evening of British rubbish in the West End yeah. in the early 60s, which Princess Margaret went
1: to twice, I believe. Mm. Um,
2: and, and the didn't Alberts, they,
1: um Didn't they open, you know, the first, the opening night of BBC Two? Wasn't there a, an a, a, an Albert special?
2: Oh, you... You know, you may be right. I, I'm sure you are right. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, 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 I uh, I was uh, sort of the, the saying that you know, the Albert uh, P- Professor Bruce Lacey is the connective tissue between the goons and the bonzos due to the Alberts, because the Bonzo yes. Dog Band joined the Alberts for when they tried to fly over that lake in uh, the park. In uh, is it uh, was it Wimbledon Common or
1: what? It was Ooh.
2: Hampstead Heath, I think. Yeah, they tried to fly over a lake, not even a plane. <laughs> you know, right. but that but the Bonzos sort of met and bonded over um, the Alberts, and then of course you know the influence that that had. You wouldn't have Sergeant Pepper without any of this, and them shopping for uniforms at Alfie Kemp's on the. Yeah. Yeah, on um, Carnaby Street.
1: Well, that that kind of that kind of um, that fetishization of Edwardian dress yes, and things and like and that, and
2: subverting the image of the military mess yes. of of the Victorian Empire, and and turning it on its head. You know, you had it done. It sort of reaches its nadir really in Yellow Submarine, where a bunch of sort of I think American animators just, you know, get all groovy man and all this stuff, and then chuck it together. You know, so. Um, but Bruce Lacey's a, a very important figure, and I think I'm right in saying one of the main um, protagonists in giving them that that thing which Paul describes as, you know, this absurdist theatre on, on in, in sound.
1: Mm. And of course, he, he, he appears in the running, jumping and standing still film.
2: Yes, yes, mm. that's right. Yes, yes. I mean, Bruce Lacey is is a really interesting man, and was it R Tomatoes? Was it he made, like moving st- st- sculptures and statues, like robots, which again foreshadow uh, Roger, you know, Roger uh, Ruskin Spear in the Bonzo's with his mm. st- um, robots on stage. Um, you know, I sort of, been lucky enough to end up singing for the Bonzo's, I spent a sure. lot of time with them and got, yep. you know, lots of this info, especially from Rodney, whose memory is pin sharp, absolutely mm. ridiculous. I mean, he worked a lot with Spike Rodney, um, but Rodney talks of Spike being so nervous he'd get quite drunk um, and just throw performances. You know, he'd he he'd sort of he'd um, he'd be brilliant in the afternoon, then go and get a few drinks down him, and then the the show wouldn't be good. Spike, you mean. Yeah, which surprised
1: me. Yeah, I didn't well, spiked down as a drinker. Well, he'd liked a red wine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rodney will attest to that. You should get Rodney on, he'll tell mm. you some stories. <laughs> you just just going back, you mentioned about Q5 and you said about it breaking the fourth wall and showing mm. the lifting the veil on the actual television production process. Yeah. Um, taken to the next stage, I would argue by Kenny Everett about 10 years later. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah well, Barry
2: Cryer again, eh? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's yeah, why yeah. I bring
1: it up because obviously, you know, Barry Cryer, unfortunately, sadly is, is, oh. is the late lamented. Um, and you've, you've had the good fortune of meeting Barry.
2: Yes. Yes. God. Yeah. I've been so blessed really to have spent time in his company. And, um, Yeah, I mean, he was telling me so many stories, you know, about Spike, about Eric Sykes, about all this stuff. And um, I mean, I, 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 I don't think there is anybody that occupied that position, is there? Can you think of anybody else? No. Within no. British, I can't think no. of anybody else, because for me, he was kind of a John Peel figure as well, because he sort of, he kept up to date with yes um, modern comedy, and he, he had his finger on the pulse, and it, he didn't ever become dated, because he was constantly keeping his, um, you know, his comedy vocabulary up to date and relevant, you know. It's like when, um, when I met him, they just, I think they just toured with... Um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Mm. Um, and Sandy Toxfig had uh, done the chur on it. And uh, he, he was just like that to me. He's like, wonderful. Sandy's wonderful. Really good. <laughs> you know, and all that. And it was just like, so, I mean, and, and uh, did did has she taken over that now? I mean, I don't I don't listen to uh, the, uh, Jack D. Jack,
1: Jack D. Yeah, yeah. Jack
2: D. Well, what did she take over? Sandy Tox Was it QI? Yeah,
3: she took over. Well, she took over the news quiz for a right. while, mm-hmm. uh, and then QI from Stephen Fry. Yeah, um, but he had
2: the humility, Barry, to sort of you know give her all the plaudits and the praise for that. So I think that that ensured that he was one of the people who sort of you know he's there with Kenny Everett. He's he's just there throughout. You know, and, and as as we all know, it's it's him that you can hear laughing mainly in the background mm. of the Kenny Everett television show. Mm-hmm. But that's ITV, isn't it, Paul? Yeah. Or is it honorary because <laughs> of the DNA? Oh, we, we can accept this one. Oh, on we can we, accept but... LWT. That was Thames, wasn't it? I thought it was LWT. Well you? I thought it
3: was wasn't. It?
1: Um, wasn't LWT when it began? Wasn't it quite highbrow? Wasn't it quite? Oh, it was far familiar. too
3: highbrow, wasn't it? It was David Frost. Oh, David Frost, Frost yeah. Um, yeah. David Frost sat on the South Bank basically wanting to bring culture, but the trouble <laughs> is that nobody wanted bloody culture. So, uh, and he, it was ballet and stuff like that, and nobody wanted to see this at all. I
2: imagine a young Carmichael returning from his violin lesson well, was, was demanding Mother Put it. <laughs> we wouldn't have
3: had ITV on, as you well know, at Ooh, any point well. at all. Um, <laughs> You'd so, have that's life on. Uh, we, we had that that's life, on absolutely. I'm indebted to a young man for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love Cyril. Can't beat Cyril, but. Um... No. Yeah, no, 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 ITV, absolutely not. But of course, now I'm, I, I, God, I love ITV. Anything that's regional, anything before they decided to call themselves ITV One for reason.
2: What is that thing? Farmhouse Kitchen things. Like oh, that. farmhouse They're kitchen, just with,
3: lovely thing. What was her name? Because there were two. Zena ladies Zena Skinner, wasn't it? Was it? And
2: she, was she the one who, who died in a car accident? No, I think Zena Skinner was after her. I'm right, not so sure. that was great. But, but, something, but you yeah. can share with the world your your obsessional love of the. Indoor league now. Oh, the indoor league! Oh my,
3: God. the indoor league.
2: You don't know the indoor. Don't know the indoor league. uh,
3: Tyler, Tyler. (laughs) Right. So what we're talking about is Freddie Truman, the cricketer, who's who is stood in a working men's club in Leeds. Introduce it, pipe in hand, pint. And he's yeah. introducing people playing things like billiards or yes. darts. <laughs> and it's 25 minutes of Freddie Truman introducing overweight men playing yes. sub-sports. People it's coughing. Coughing everywhere. Not oh, the
2: coughing championship from Udersfield coming oh, up later. These, these
3: people who, they're probably only about 25, but they look like they're in the late 50s. Oh, bro. Absolutely <laughs>
1: magnificent. World Series cribbage.
3: That's yeah. the sort of thing. Yeah. You know, oh, honestly. Yeah.
2: Oh, go go check it out, Tyler. You will not be disappointed.
3: Arm wrestling on television. (laughs) I mean, genius. I adore that. It's the only sports program I've ever watched in my life. I won't watch any sports program, I think they're common. But the the indoor league, for some reason, which is common, completely appeals to me. I adore it. It's beyond
2: common. It is. (laughs) I'll tell you what it does. It means that you can live vicariously through all Mm. these common people. Well, Mm. maybe Maybe there's a bit of that. Maybe I'm
3: connecting with, with the youth that I should have had rather than all the bloody violin You'd be be
2: sat in the corner with a packet of cheese and onion just watching men. it 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 allows you (laughs) to to get in the proximity of men without the jeopardy.
3: Well, it's that, but it's also the fact that with Freddie (laughs) Truman, with Freddie Truman, there you've got someone who is the least suited person to television presenting ever. But he was the captain of the English
2: cricket team. And therefore gets the job. And I love that. Freddie Truman's got that magnificent mane of jet black hair. Oh. it's a wig it's is a wig
3: it? it's got to oh yeah if you look at it especially when you get to about series three or four it looks like it needs to go th- through the wash
2: what gets me is why did men in the 70s have wigs that look like co- comb overs harry h Carbet has one from about season seven of steptoe uh, onwards uh-huh. and they look like a comb over you know what i mean <laughs> terry wogan had one it looks like a comb over it's like well just
1: have a comb over hmm is it not to give the people the impression that it is genuine? It because, is, but it's not who, ha- who would have a comb-over wig? Well, B- Bruce, he booked the trend,
2: didn't he? I mean, I mm. think he had a comb-over in the final series of gen- – or, or in Generation Game. But he didn't go down the Diddy David Hamilton route and have the wig made. You mm. know, he, he emerges in Play Your Cards, right? He's like, look, it's a wig. I couldn't give a toss. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just like, yeah, whatever. I've got a syrup and a hot wife. Then, and he's <laughs> off, isn't he? He doesn't care. <laughs> No. And I don't blame him. No, absolutely. I think Bruce not. He had it right.
3: Oh, if you had Winifred at home, I'm sure he'd be very happy too. <laughs> can,
1: can you? Can you? Can you do one of the only things that ever made me laugh? About um, was it Little and Large or Cannon and Ball? <laughs> the and celebrities Celebrities uh, starting the cars in the morning. You heard oh, that,
3: right? Oh, know. that was Little and Large. That was Eddie Large doing Bruce Forsyth's car starting. <laughs>
1: Can you uh, can you essay it, Paul?
3: Oh, but Mike, can you just give us an awfully long version of that thing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's Bruce Forsyth's car starting in the morning. Lovely. But Eddie Large's perm. I mean, isn't there a, isn't there a bit in Filthy Rich and Cat flat where it's like we'll make the ultimate TV presenter and the like? <laughs> yes. bunch of body's this. Isn't one of them Eddie Large's perm? Yes. I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> it's, I'm sure that it's like that. But I mean, yeah. yeah, little and large were absolutely. I borrow a phrase, From John Pertwee, lamentable, dreadful, absolutely (laughs) dreadful. But Uh, we watched them because it's like you had that loyalty. But but Cannon and Ball were far funnier. You You got me skin, Tommy. So I don't get it. Oh well, you know, you do, get
0: it. I you don't do get it. I it. don't. Years, it's ITV. In ten years,
2: statute of limitations, you'll be into it. Like, oh, oh no, them got them all, love them.
3: It's gonna have to be a while longer than that. I think maybe when I'm in my seventies, I'll have a look, <laughs> but not before then. I've I've still got an awful lot of On the Buses I've not seen
1: yet. No. Oh, have you Have so you seen the Christmas freaky. special of On the Buses with the goose? No.
2: I've, yeah, I've seen them that's, all. Have you seen? That's no, Frankie.
1: I love a goose, go on. Is you the one where they go back in time? The, the, the goose one, they're trying to kill a goose. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> That's on the buses for you. Yeah. Oh,
2: wonderful!
1: Ran it oh,
0: out I, I the need stand. to see this. I'm out a full report about this. Don't worry, Daggy. I think the goose is doing it for you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. It makes that they will have a Christmas dinner. <laughs> Goose is very tasty, isn't it?
2: Oh, I need to see. But there's some of the jokes that were in that. There's one where he has to, you know, where Stan has to iron his own shirt. (laughs) So it's like, oh, a man ironing his own shirt. You know, and it's just like hilarious. (sighs) Mam! You know what I mean? I mean, Doris Her, wasn't Doris Her eight years older than him? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because, I mean, Stan's like, you know, chatting at birds hmm. and he's like 54, I mean he looks bloody great <laughs> for 54 don't get me wrong but you know it's sort of like he's 54 and he's sort of with these 19 year old dolly birds.
3: You look at those sitcoms from those from the early 70s you know these lovely studio based <gasps> sitcoms where you've got please sir and on the buses and all these things and they are worlds apart from the sitcoms of just 10 years before so they weren't cozy and they were rather alternative and, and risque as well Um, you know you look at um, Love Thy Neighbour, which, of course, these days has got... Everyone just says, oh, that racist one. It's a bit like people who watch who think that Othello is a play about a racist when, you know, it's simplistic thinking. There's so much more to it um, than Absolutely. anything as basic as that. And I think that what you've got with those sitcoms is something that is genuinely going against everything that had come before, which is a really brave thing to do,
2: really. Well, it. dragging it, attempting to drag us back on topic... I mean, <laughs> yeah. Can the same be said about curry and chips, mm. yes. Mm. Well, ooh. oh, mm. ah, now okay. you see the two stereotypes which are um, embodied in the character name that Spike has, mm. um, are actually the two um, relevant areas of his background. Mm. So, I mean, at that time, Spike no doubt felt that he was qualified. In that regard. I mean, what Johnny Spate was thinking, I mean, I've heard him try and justify it, say no, 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 it's taking the Mickey out of racists, you know. Mm. Um, but I mean, that argument, okay, I can you can do that with till death. Mm. You know what I mean? You can do that with to a point. Um, even that's flimsy, I would argue. But with curry and chips, I mean it it was wasn't it pulled before it even finished its run? No,
1: that was the the melting pot, which was Mm. 76. That, that mm. one episode right. I think went out, and and the rest was pulled. And I've seen yeah, I've seen it all. Still pushing that then. Oh, have episodes. you? I've only I've only, seen, I've only seen the one that went out. A terrible quality copy. There's not a lot there to be to be fair, if you
3: know what I mean, right. in terms
2: of quality. And what's your verdict on this series? Pretty bloody awful. And uh, and I uh, this is this is new to me. So who's in it? Who so, wrote? So right. It, so you know?
1: got you got Spike uh, as um, I forget the character's name, but he's you know he's he's uh, he's browned up, and you've got John Wells, John Bird as his sidekick, who's also browned up. Uh, right. uh, and they come to London to seek their fortune, I think. And they end up in this grotty sort of rackmann flat where the walls are paper thin and it, there's um, a, a collection of other larger than life characters who each of them embody a stereotype. Okay, so you've got um, a black character, you've got, I think, a, a loudmouth Aussie, uh, John Bluthel's in it, I think, as a Jew, oh. as a Jewish character, a very Jewish character. Mm. Uh, and John Bluthel's always good value. Don't get me well, wrong. Well, uh,
2: was it, it Nevermind the Quality Field of Witch? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Wonderful,
1: wonderful. Um, and, and, of course, you've got the landlady who is um, suitably bosomy. Um, mm. Lots of jokes about that. And there's a goat running around a lot as well. <laughs> okay. I'm
2: sold. I'm sold on this. <laughs> there's uh, lots to unpack there,
1: isn't there? Yeah. Mm.
3: Well, is it is it better or worse than... Now, what's the one he did with Eric that I think only went to pilot where they're running a restaurant? Oh, God. I watched this quite recently. It's bloody well. stale. Uh, it was, <laughs> um, and it's got the same name as something now, else. Are you going to Google one of you? Oh, oh, do you know what I am? I'm mm. going to have me Google. I'll, I'll have a quick Google. I want to say Brighthead revisited, and it's not.
1: Oh, uh, oh, it's um. Jewel Go on, in the Crown. Is that's
3: it? it. Jewel in the, the crown. crown. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, Is that? Are we better yeah. or worse than Jewel in the Crown? Well, I've not Terrence. seen. Uh, I've
1: not seen Jewel
3: in the Crown. To be honest. Uh, okie mm. dokie. Yeah, you must have a look. I mean, that's. Mm. You watch that, and you do get the feeling of no. We, we should have moved on a bit here, Spike. We, yeah. we maybe needed to move on a bit.
2: Well, Adrian Evanson said he bumped into Spike. In an airport once, and they were just making bottom, and he was saying, "Spike, I'd love, I, I'll send you some tapes." And Spike was like, "I know all the jokes, I know all the jokes," and he's like, "No, we've done this." And he's like, "I, I know them all, I know all the jokes." And Edmondson said at the time, he was like that, you know, yours, you know. Um, he said, but nowadays, Aids just like, yeah, I know all the jokes. That mm. <laughs> sort of gets him, you know. Um, there was a great documentary on Spike, wasn't there, a while back? That Love Light and. Piece, was it called? Yes, made by a friend of mine, Verity. Um, Mm. And the great um, revelation in that was the marijuana honey, which which, um, was not made by infusing uh, honey with marijuana, but rather it was sort of something that rich people like Peter Sellers were able to get hold of, where the Mm. bees collected pollen only from marijuana plants um and Spike's daughter I think it was Jane in the documentary saying you know he'd ask the um the maid or whoever they had at the house Spike you know for his special honey when Peter Sellers was around and she said him and Sellers would just be in the room crying laughing at this (laughs) record going that had finished and they'd have this on little pieces of sort of uh you know crusted bread and stuff like that I mean that again a revelation
1: to me Mm. um but but it, any any particular uh, sort of fascination for sellers, either of you? Have you oh I love sellers, yeah. yeah I them. mean you're going about racial representation mm.
2: of minorities in, mm. in movies. I mean, if you want to if you want to see a really positive spin on that, watch Heavens Above, uh 64. Um, the the black character in that. Who's, oh yes, um, who's the
1: guy from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? I think.
2: Yeah, isn't it? A fantastic film as well. I yeah. mean, the thing is about Sellers, and particularly in those Bolton Brothers films, is how different he's able to look. Yeah. I mean, and is and how different he sounds. I mean, on those um, goon shows um, that um, we listen to today, yeah. um, you know, it's just like, is that Peter Sellers? It's like you know it is, but he's he's so able. To change his voice, it sounds like another actor. Mm. Um, I mean, so for, for example, you know, what's he called? The reverence Small Piece or something like that in in, in Heavens Above. Yeah. You know, he looks completely and utterly worlds apart from his uh, Fred Kite in um, I'm oh. All Right Chat. Yeah. And then, you know, all those, and he, well, he wasn't above Browning up, was he? And uh, was it The Millionaire S?
1: And, uh, and The Party.
2: And yep. the party, yes. Yep. Um, but Peter Sell and f- well, lest we forget Fu Manchu. Um <laughs> but Peter Sellers <laughs> was You know, I think you've got nowadays, you've got people like Steve Coogan, who they say is the modern Peter Sellers. like, no, not even close. Coogan, you can always hear, you can hear that Coogan (laughs) in his voice, can't you? Um, You know, you can always hear that in his voice, but not so with Sellers. He's a complete chameleon. Um, And so if you go through those run of uh, late 50s, 60s films, it's just phenomenal. I I, I mean, uh, Peter Sellers is probably... Oh, it's hard to quantify But, I mean, Peter Sellers, the great thing about Sellers is he looks so much like John Lennon, and you wouldn't have the Beatles without the Goons at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. you really would not have the Beatles without the Goons. And that's I, think with, I
3: think with Sellers, if you ever want to see sort of like, you yeah, know, just... and um, If you want to see the range, then look at Pardon. Lolita watch oh, Lolita oh next God, to Dr. Yes. Strangelove because do you know you've got Lolita in 62, yes. Love is 64 yeah and it's not just the characterization it's the it's the form of acting itself is so different between the two but both perfectly executed absolutely yes. yeah. oh wonderful yes. Wonderful, and and, 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 and it's, there,
1: it's quite it's quite telling that that Sellers and Kubrick got on really well because Kubrick I, yes Kubrick was not uh, and was not a director known for getting on with his actors
3: and no not at all. There's that wonderful um, story about um, when he was shooting a Clockwork Orange, and there's the scene where Malcolm McDowell is um, held, his head is held underwater in a horse trough, um, and while Warren Clark's beating the side of it with a truncheon, and when they got on location, McDowell was assuming there'd be some sort of breathing apparatus. No, nothing at all. No, it was literally head in, and that scene is redubbed, and the reason that they've redubbed it is so you can't hear Warren Clark shouting, how long do you want us to do this for? <laughs> and Kubrick shouting back the reply until there are no more bubbles. Wow. Just like, whoa. I mean, Kubrick was yeah,
1: a nutter, but wonderful. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned before you've been listening to a couple of goon shows. Preparation for this. Yes. yes. So, So what were they?
3: Well, we went for uh, nineteen eighty-five, uh-huh. which oh, is um... brilliant. God, it's it's
2: brilliant. Good. I mean, laugh that... out
3: loud, funny, genuinely um,
2: funny. Do you mind if I take a gander around the shop? <laughs> so, so long as it's house trained.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was superb. That's that was lovely. just brilliant. And the, um, oh, uh, introducing the Beverly sisters. Bang, bang the Beverly yeah. twins. Bang, Miss yeah. Beverly will sing. Bang, everybody dance. It's oh, just, yeah, the everybody dance. Oh, it's
2: wonderful. Right. Absolutely. Like yeah. the independent television army then, Paul?
3: I loved that. Yeah, Horace Minnick. I, mean, I, could, I you <laughs> You would. know, it was just the, the, that, that. Just um, uh, the brothers from Granada, isn't it? Right there. But 1985, yeah. of course. I mean, God, that was what? 1955. So we're a few months after the 1984. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, no, I'll tell, you it, I'll tell you.
1: Go it, on. It, 1984 was shown live. Mm-hmm. Uh, when was it? 14th of December, 54. I think. Yeah. And then it was okay. restaged two, two or three days later. And was this the early July
3: yeah. 2nd or something? No, so this is January
1: the. fourth or something yeah so literally what two three weeks after
3: yeah i'm absolutely stunning to have captured to have captured so much of that program i mean that program itself is just Mm. perfect television coming out on blu-ray instantly in about eight weeks yeah Mm -hmm. um which i'm genuinely very excited about um the thing that the thing that i was thinking with that is i'm amazed they got a way with it, not because they went for the BBC's production, um, but I had a few dealings about four years ago with um, the George Orwell estate, um, because I decided for some weird reason, I, I thought, well, I'd like to write a theatre version of 1984. So I got on to the Orwell estate, um, or the estate of the late Sonia Browning Orwell, and they were so protective of every single word. And I, I, I mean that, every single word. So I had to send draft after draft to them and I wasn't allowed to change a word uh, that Orwell had written I wasn't allowed to add anything or anything like that to make it work for theater so they were so protective so I'm presumably they weren't quite like that uh, back oh, in 1954.
1: S- spike was uh, was good friends with Nigel Neal mm, uh, so I wonder whether that had some bearing on it because Nigel Neill oh, obviously adapted it. Did.
2: Uh, it was yeah. it the first one he co-wrote with sykes or was it just co-written with sykes Oh, oh, sorry,
1: that one. Um, 1985, you mean? Oh, right. I was thinking Nigel Neal and Eric Sykes writing. This. Oh, that'd um, be good. Oh, that would. <laughs> that K- would yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kinvig is, is very uh, Milligan, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Tony uh, Hogarth mm. series. 85,
1: 1985 was about, I think it was show 20 from series five. And I think Eric started writing a roundabout show... Might seven lurgy that right
2: all oh, right yeah okay. it
1: was a it was around that lurgy strikes britain period because because mm. obviously the thing about lurgy strikes britain that's got eric's fingerprints all over it i think is there's there's references to oldham mm. okay. yeah 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 um, and also there's there's a distinct plot this <laughs> there's, there's yes. a, a satisfying uh, satisfying ending I yes. think the fact that it gifted
2: us the word lurky in the British mm. language, is, is, English mm. language, is, is astonishing because, uh, you know, everybody, st- even kids still say, you know, got the leggy. Mm. Um, I can imagine it, was, it would have been a phrase that Lennon seized upon. I'm sure that on Let It Be or something like that, you know, where you hear studio tapes, I'm sure you've got the Beatles
1: talking about the leggy. Just, um, just getting back to 1985. Mm, the, yeah. the thing is, you, you see, that, I mean, it is, it's a hilarious show, mm. but it's so topical. It's so yeah. topical for the for the period. Mm. What
2: gets me with those goon shows that I, I realised listening to those two today is that it had it still had the sort of the bit of the light entertainment show in it with its musical interludes, didn't it? Wonderful, oh, Max Gelgray, yeah. Galgray,
3: yeah. Wonderful so what was stuff.
2: the reason for that is it simply the vocabulary of the times or is it just because they could get a uh,
1: you know the way the young ones got a two-day no, shoot with a bigger budget yeah no it was just it was just um it was just it, when it first began so 51 the show began and yeah. there, was, there were four musical interludes at that point there was, right there was galdre there was allington there was a group called the stargazers and and there was Seacum. He he would sing a straight song as oh well right it's <laughs> uh, like in the
2: early hancocks when is it uh is it andre morale who's his girlfriend andre no,
1: melly melly mm. yeah um Morel's
2: george's the, yeah, george's sister been groundbreaking yeah george's <laughs> um, sister yeah. yeah but um in in those early Hancocks, you've got a bit with, I think it's Ray Galton. I don't know. where they where it's like they just they go off, well, I said to him, you shouldn't do that. Well, I tell him yeah, or yeah, well, you should tell him again. Yeah, I will. we oh, tell him later on. Yeah, I mm. will, I will tell him. And they like have this quiet conversation. It, it's quickly dropped, mm. like the girlfriend idea. But it's it's sort of it's it's interesting that we've got this luxury we can watch how we can observe how these art forms evolve and it's sort of like God I couldn't imagine a mad you you know you don't imagine that it's going to have a musical interlude in the minute in the middle which you know from from what I heard on those two today is played pretty straight I think Ellington comes back in on one of them doesn't he um, mm. to join in with the fun yeah mm. uh, no, we often did play, yeah. Yeah, they play it quite straight. Which, which yeah, I
3: mean, to to sort of break from that and to go into shake, rattle, and roll, it it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel jarring. No, That's the it's strange amazingly thing. It, done. Yeah, yeah, it fits beautifully. Um, and again, it's it's it sums the time up, doesn't it? I mean, there's that there's a lovely there's a lovely fun approach here in the in the 1950s, which we think of as being austere and post-war. But the colour of these shows, I think it's the colour and it's not the browns of the 70s. It's these bright, vivid colours. And that's the image that we normally have of the 1950s, I think beautifully, really. But then so much of uh, the radio output at the time does just that. It, um, whether you're listening to uh, that or Hancock or the men from the Ministry or the Navy, like you know, you've you've got things which absolutely go against the idea of what Britain was meant to be at the time, because they're full of love. Or oh, we're we're always using that word, of course, on nice things. It, it's love um, and and colour, vibrancy, um, I think. But also the thing that I thought um, was. We're, we're, we've got this thing into our heads now. Of course, that the, when it comes to modern satire, the godfather of that is Peter Cook. And you listen to these, I listened mm. to these shows today, and I thought, well, no, this is mm. here's the birth of modern satire right here, coming out of Spike's pen. And of course, if if it is as reflective as as it seems to be, if they're producing like 1985 within a couple of weeks of 1984. Then we're talking about this contemporaneous uh, form of comedy. So right there, you've got the birth of modern-day satire. There's now, so much going on now. Brilliant.
2: Now, dear, you know that the posh people invent everything. It was Peter no, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Now, 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 you know the people that write these books are not in any way biased. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the books and TV shows are merely repeating what people have written before. Hmm. So you know that's no longer an objective opinion. You know, it all begins with TW3 and Peter Cook and that. It's a nice notion, but it's far from the truth. Satire has never gone anywhere since well, the days of Hogarth. No, no, yeah, you know, But there um, was
1: there was there was like thirty plus complaints by high ranking BBC officials to get the goons taken off the air. Oh well, the, um, they they were the ones wonderful. who got gags like Hugh Jampton. Mm. Well, yeah, but also because I'm sure if you listen to Logie Strikes Britain. Um, what about the drains in Hackney? There's, you know, politicians are being. Sued. Oh yeah,
2: they've not yeah. got them back yet.
1: Um, and representing or...
3: the, representing the uh, British Medical Council as this staunch sort of working class trade union, even that, you know, to to take yeah. the uh, yeah, to take the BMC great. and represent them like that, that's that's
1: pushing it a bit. Getting back to Nigel Neal, what mm. four years after 1985, the goons do a, a an episode called the Scarlet Capsule. Which, right, mass the quite pit, which was Quatermass and the pit, when that that came out six weeks ah. after.
2: Oh. It's funny, isn't it? Because there's they've recently uncovered, I think, an audio recording and some photographs of the Hancock Quatermass yeah. pastiche, the horror as well. serial, so, yeah yeah so mm. i think that i think that you know um the bbc even in its earliest days was you know prone to eating itself as such it was it was prone mm. to like i mean that 1985 there's so much in that i'm not surprised the bigwigs complained and i love the payoff at the end that it's bloody ted ray mm. you know that sort Ray's of a laugh, yeah, yeah
1: that, that is is the uh <laughs> the, the conquering art form but you know the irony of that as well is Sellers got his first big gig as a, as a cast member on Razor Laugh, and, and oh, I But I
2: can imagine Ted Ray laughing at that. Oh, I yeah. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah, and 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 Andrew Ray. Wasn't Andrew Ray very good friends with um, Spike? Possibly was yeah yeah uh, yeah. I mean he's on all the documentaries. Yes. I mean Ted Ray is kind of like you know everyone thinks that he's he's one of these humble northern comedians and that was his image in that. But you know he's he's there. He's still there in Jokers Wild with with you know Barry again. <laughs> um, he's there when that he's in Carry On Switcher swathed in smoke cigarette smoke.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: I, I think when I looked at it, there was a great clip that was on. Baz has got a, a fag on. Yeah. Ted Ray as Ray Martinez had. Uh, Les Dawson, obviously, born mm. with one in his gob. Mm. Um, but there was one who didn't, and I'm trying to think who it was.
3: Would um, it have been, oh, what's his name? Little chap, uh, the
2: busy, busy, busy bee. Um, Arthur Askey was he smoking? Penta, I doubt he was smoking, no. Mm.
0: 17 points to each team as we go into our quickies, ladies and gentlemen, a quick joke, gentlemen, on any subject at all. Joke as wild as we start with Ted Ray.
2: Uh, A quick subject, yes, 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 we had a maid, an Irish maid, lovely girl, but she was very lazy, very indolent girl, didn't do much work, and my wife said to me one day, she said, Ted, she said, you have to talk to that girl, she must do some work, and so I didn't know
1: what to do, because we didn't want to lose her, she was a nice kid, you know, and very nice, so anyway, I thought it out, I went to her, I said, Bridget,
0: Bridget darling, I said, do you know that I can write my name in the dust on the piano? And she said, ah, oh, sure, God, Mr. Ray, isn't education a wonderful thing? <laughs> Three points, that. Three quick points to Ted Ray. Ray Martin. There's a remake of a new horror film, and Les Dawson's going to appear in it. It's called King Pong. <laughs> <laughs> Three cruel points, I think. Mr. Cleese, uh, a, a quick joke. Uh, would I wouldn't you. say my mother-in-law is fat, but she weighs over 18 stone. Is that, is that the end? Are you sure you've got that right, Please, sir? With respect, sir. Sorry, you, I do beg of you. I wouldn't say my mother-in-law was ugly, but people on the whole don't like looking at her a great deal. Ah, four points, Mr. Cleese. Four points. I know my place. Um, <laughs> We've invented a new form of humour, Les Dawson. Not a new form of humour, Les Dawson. Les
3: Dawson. But I also think that what you've got with the BBC at the time is the BBC, I don't think it's afraid to laugh at itself because after after World War II, I mean, you know, Lord Reith is no longer there. And so you've got people... The BBC is being run by the same sort of people who are making the programs who are in the programs these are people who've just been through the war and, and so you've got that lovely irreverence there I think throughout the whole of the corporation at that time and it's willing to take risks it takes so yeah. many risks and and commissioning a program seems to be relatively easy you pop in and they say oh going right, to have 13 please yeah and it's on the air instantly uh, TW3 very famously the commissioning process for that was the week that was was a matter of weeks I had there were there were two pilot goes because it was going to be live and then it was on air almost instantly. I mean it's an amazingly quick turnaround from a from a corporation that's just willing to take risks. And again, television needs to take note of that you need to take a few
2: risks oh early. that's gone that day of taking risks I mean yeah. what you've also got to remember <clears throat> is that all this stuff was set against the backdrop that it's, it's I suppose this is a quicker way to describe what the country looked like is watch the blue lamp you know mm, oh, and yeah. and those mm. bomb sites and, and and the rubble that people were sort of found in the welfare state in and you mm. know it was a very different time a very different time to the one we know now and, and you know people were looking at doing things anew a Fresh, reinventing things, mm. um, you know. So when you sort of, you know, a landscape that can only be described, described as a visual representation of a Philip Larkin poem, with that going on uh, in the background, this must have just been like colour coming out of the radio. Yeah. The goons, you know, yeah. And 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 so the, I mean, it was all brand new. So I mean, everything was a risk. I'm I'm supposing, really. Mm. Because there were treading ground that had never been gone, you know, trod before. And even now when you listen to that goon show, um, it's like, that goon show, sound like me, Nan. Uh, even <laughs> now when you listen to the goon show, it's like, <coughs> it's it's. there's
3: still nothing can touch it today. No. No in terms of that sheer inventiveness. Plus you've got you've got the Radiophonic Workshop doing it. Lovely early work there. Uh, I love the fact that there's a sound effect from the Goons, which is uh, entitled at the BBC is Major Blood Knock Stomach. <laughs> 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 and that sound effect also makes its way into an episode of Doctor Who, into one of the Tom Baker ones, when he got gone a bit mad and it was all a bit comedic. And that sound effect is used in a Doctor Who. I, I just I love the fact that you've got that sound effect being used across twenty years there,
2: and what surprised me is how many early Goons films there were. Mm. You know, because you are, you know, the Muckinese battle Battlehorn and Down Among the Zed Men, mm. but but there's a couple of other things that they did as well, isn't there?
1: Yeah, not very good. I mean, the no, Ma- but they, they battle the... The, yeah, Mek- Battlehorn is considered the, the, the well, most successful.
2: I've got a poster in my um, on my stirs of Sir Henry at Rollins, and then, you know, the movie, yeah, yeah, Trevor yeah. Howard movie, yeah. and it says, you know, with supporting feature, ba- the Muckanese Battlehorn. Yeah. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: So it's still been uh, bicycled around in, what, 1980?
1: I think it also was a uh, supporting feature when Holy Monty Python's Holy Grail Oh, opened. right, okay. That? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Before they made the uh, Crimson Permanent Assurance for yes. the next one,
2: <laughs> which is the last t- um, appearance on film of oh, I forgot his bloody name. What an
1: idiot! Oh my what, god, the
2: the, the the man who did all the songs, you know the, the the fresh fruit song that Spike does with David Lodge, you know the
0: eh, 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 eh. Oh, oh
2: Leslie Seroni, Seroni mm. Leslie Seroni. So Leslie Seroni uh, makes his last appearance in the Crimson Permanent Assurance. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's a useless fact. It's <laughs> very nice to know, too. Yes, awesome. I like Leslie Cerrone. Yeah, I, I remember when. Uh, no, I'm not good. This is too lovey. I'm not going to tell.
0: That <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. To... No, no. <laughs> no,
2: no, no, no. I, mm. I, I've dropped enough names. Yeah, um, but he said, <laughs> <laughs> oh. um. Yeah, look, Leslie Cerrone up. He's got a great song called Ain't It Grand To Be Bloomin' Well Dead. And it's like, and look at the coffin. Ain't it grand to be bloomin' well, <laughs> like, <laughs> well dead. And and um, the favourite verse of that is, and look at the missus. Bloomin' delighted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, Cerrone up, he's good. I think mm. he did uh, Jollity Farm as well, Leslie Cerrone. Mm. One thing that always, I always wondered was, and I can't think, I think it was after his Room 101 appearance, you don't, you know, I mean, if this is, you know, too off off the boil or whatever you want to call it, you don't want to include it, but it's just for, out of my curiosity, whilst we have the ear of a scholar, um, <laughs> did, mm. did Spike have some form of stroke?
1: Mm. about yeah.
2: a few years ago he slowed down an awful yeah, lot between i think it was room 101 and, right good Because so i've never seen i've never seen that mentioned not good good lord no <laughs> um, <laughs> but um that answers that question no, i he, always
1: wondered yeah he had um he had poor health yeah because it's like it was almost like overnight i know it wasn't overnight. yeah it was he went from being on parkinson in the late 80s being very lucid and and, and the spike that you you've mm. always knew. And then yeah. he kind of became an old man overnight. And it was, yes. um, and it was, yeah, I think he he had kidney problems, I think, and um, right. all sorts of stuff going on. And yeah, he, his last 10 years, he was pretty, uh, he was deteriorating quite.
2: I went to his grave in Winchelsea. Mm. I yeah. asked um, a gardener there, who was Irish, I think, I as mad as luck would have it. And he was sort of like this hippie bloke. And I, and I couldn't find Spike's gravestone anywhere. Um, and he said, Oh, it's over there. You know, he's used to people asking. And it was a very, very small affair. It wasn't in any way uh, conspicuous.
1: And hasn't it got, um, I told
3: you I was ill, but
1: written in, in Irish, in Gaelic. Gaelic. Yeah. 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 It's funny that actually, because the, the my guest last week, writer and performer Henry Normal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Steve Coogan connection there. Yeah. Um, and oh. he, he was telling me about <laughs> going to Winchelsea to see Spike's grave. And he said, he said it, that it, it was during winter. It was quite, it was wet weather. And he said there was like a clear path of just churned wow. up mud leading to Spike's grave, yeah. which obviously in, in implied that, you know, there were regular visitations. Mm. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what a legend, you know, stale or not. <laughs> um, you know, Spike. Well, all three of them, well, all four of them independently mm. because we, we loved Benteen due to potty time. Mm. Mm. You know his one man show is wonderful. I'm sure you've heard that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And his radio
1: series he had in the eighties. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I knew him. He played. He came over to New Zealand to to appear in a kids program, kids series in the eighties, where he played a a villain called Ray Vegas, Um, and he wore a Panama hat and chomping a big cigar and surrounded by heavies, and Mm. he was basically just playing this gangster character, comedy gangster character. Yeah. Um, so that was my first exposure to him because because Benteen, you know, I grew up knowing Milligan Seekham Sellers, but I had no idea who Benteen was because he just no. wasn't, he didn't really do much other than potty time. He didn't do much after the 70s in terms of television, no. you know? Yeah. No.
3: You no, know, he was well. He was very, very. When I say controlling, I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way. But he was, he wanted to have control of the product, and often, you know, you'd find producers who wouldn't what you know they wouldn't surrender that, and that's why. Benteen uh, didn't get the role, third yeah. reference, sorry, didn't get the role of Doctor Who, which he was very much in the running for, and he talked himself out of it by saying he'd want to also write some of the scripts, um, yeah. and that was that was the reason he didn't get that uh, particular role. In that, in that show, Tyler, in, in New Zealand, when he was playing this, this gangster type, was he wearing a white suit? I believe he was. Um, I'm. I must have seen that, and I'm convinced that the only program I ever saw when growing up from New Zealand was what was it? Bloody. Cool, the Children of Fire Mountain. I remember watching. Yeah, that. Uh, there, was, um, there was
1: Under the Mountain and Children of Fire Mountain. I think.
3: Right. Yeah, I remember that being on, but I must have seen this program right. as well. That
1: Just, you yeah. See the Carmichael brain. Uh, will will always. It,
2: it's. It's. Um, he has a far bigger knowledge than me of yes, these things. But just odd, um, weird things like the colour of his suit. I'm fairly yeah. sure. A white suit and a white hat. The Sandwich Board Man's a fantastic film, though. Have you seen that? I've yes. not seen that. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. He's wandering around London all day. Well, nothing much happens, is it? It's just No, but a it's beautiful. Of... It looks beautiful. Yeah. To capture London in colour, what is it, 65, 66? Oh. 66. I think it's at the 66. height of... I think it's like, oh. yeah. What I love is the incongruity of the credits, which is just two guys wrestling. <laughs> and that great music <laughs> with the big bow, you know, kettle drum, the timpani as the guys hit the mat. Oh, it's a it's a splendid film, Paul. You must watch. I must watch that. Well, yeah. you, there is one thing I wanted to ask, Tyler.
3: How many episodes of the Goon shows are missing? Are there a fair few, aren't there? Yeah. Um. Sorry. Oh just, no, just... Ah, that's yeah. Sad. Early, early Goons. There's a fair few that that haven't
1: survived. Um. More than for the Hancock, certainly. I'm just. Um. Right. Hang on a second. Mm. I've just sent you Paul a, a picture on Ooh. Twitter of. No, he's wearing a white Panama hat there. I think right, white Panama hat. Yeah, and he's got. So let's... If you have a look, Vegas Securities has got. It. I'll send this let's to have you. Mike. Here we go. Uh... That's it, right? That's so you've a... seen that? I've
3: it? seen this. I have absolutely seen this. Oh my! It must have been shown. That's that's a summer holidays BBC program, right? I'm well,
1: sure it was probably. called the Adventures of Terry T O T E O. Yeah, that rings a bell. Um, Did it
3: have? Oh, the lead character,
1: young lad, yes, um, uh, Mary Led. Yes, that's
2: it.
3: Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've definitely seen it. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! I'm going to have to find that now. <laughs> oh, lovely. Right, that's being found. Okay. okay.
1: Um, it is available to watch. There's a there's a website called NZ On Screen all One Word dot com or whatever. Lovely. And you can see, you can think you can watch it on that. Oh, it's fabulous! So oh, I should be useless tomorrow. That's tonight sorted. <laughs> well,
2: you've got 1990 series two episode eight. Yeah, I've got the final
3: episode of that. There's nothing worse than getting all 16 episodes of Edward Woodward, and you get to the end, and then the <laughs> and then the file crashes halfway through the last episode. I've been in turmoil for days, genuinely. So. Yeah, that's being watched. And then we're off to watch that as well. Oh, yes. It's going to be a rare old night. We'll get the wine out, I think.
1: Just just to answer your question, by the way. Uh, So the the first four series of The Goonch, so there were 10 series. So there was was about 240-odd shows in total. Okay. The first Mm. four let's say the first three series, three shows survive. And they're off-air recordings that someone's made. There are, ra- I mean, um, the scripts will exist, so surely
2: they're going to be remade.
1: Oh well, the scripts exist, yeah. Mm. Um, but they were very much sketches back in back in the early days. There weren't, there wasn't, a, you know, a running right. storyline like, the, mm. like there was. They'd be fascinating. Um, I mean, I went and saw. I never knew that the Phantom Raspberry Blower of Old London Town was meant to be a goon show. It, yeah, it was written. It was the idea for that, I think, if I remember correctly, was that Spike wrote it in the late 60s and it was going to be him, Seekham and Sellers. Yeah. Like a one hour or half hour TV special or something. Oh.
2: Um, I went to see it done at the St. James Theatre in London a couple of years back. They recreated it as a goon show. Hmm um which was it was a good night it was a good night it was um one of these uh charity things and, and I, was, I was sat next to paula wilcox clang um enjoy, <laughs> enjoying it you know um and it was it was it was a, a great stab at it my friend david boyle did the uh peter sellers as he's played peter sellers a few times yeah. um and he played marty feldman in a play written by robert ross and directed by terry jones that got panned actually Mm. um yeah sorry thinking aloud there Mm. but that was good and i but i didn't know the point of it being i
1: didn't know it was intended as a goon show Mm. yeah and then obviously it it didn't i think i don't know i don't know why it didn't happen i think sellers may have been too busy or whatever i don't know but uh, um, i think the idea would have been if it had been made then there would have been you know follow-up specials Mm. and and there, there wasn't so they had the last goon show of all which which is all over the place, I think, mm-hmm. as a show, and it's a mm-hmm. bit, it's a bit slapdash and it's a bit sort of thrown together. I don't think Spike spent long writing it, mm-hmm. uh, and and they're having a bit. You know that thing. You know, if if the if the performers are having more fun than the audience, then mm-hmm. you know it's it's. Uh, I think it's there's a bit of that crept in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the last, and and they did a few sort of recordings and films and whatnot with each other. Spike and Peter predominantly after that, but but that was it really before he, you know, Peter Sellers died in nineteen eighty.
2: Yeah, didn't his son die on the same day of the same condition?
1: Well, this, yeah, the same day of the year. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, 2000? yeah. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean the same day.
2: No. <laughs> I, but, 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 but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that that was bizarre that he died on the same date as mm. his dad, eh? Oh,
1: wow. So uh, I asked you chaps on because i'm a big fan of your podcast nice things Thank um which i would describe as a just a general sort of meandering conversation about cultural bric-a-brac of a bygone era Um, it's the
3: bits in the it's the bits in between really nice things um yeah that's it's hauntology i suppose that's it
1: that's it yeah and and the parts that you play so whatever you play is the posh one and one of you plays the the common one. Um, oh yes, they're just characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's
2: it's been really challenging to get inside the skin of the pov. <laughs> yeah. Oh
3: yeah, yes, it's, yeah. It's just it's just having a good old waffle, isn't it? But it's it's.
2: It's a well, lovely it's, thing it's, to do. Our All desks are that. adjacent in work and it started yeah. off by Paul asking me, if I bought any nice things that week? <laughs> yeah. And that was it. That's sort of, you know, in order to retain some semblance of sanity, mm. um, in, in a job that's notorious for driving people insane, mm. you know, we'd uh, we'd talk about nice things. And, yeah, yeah
1: um, when you say nice things, you're not talking about a, a, a copy of Fiesta. You're talking about an LP mm. of Wind of the Willows or something like that. Oh, oh, oh I, yeah, yes. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mm. Paul's reaction immediately tells you, you know, I'd have done that about Fiesta, to be honest. <laughs> what I always found mad about 80s porno mags is they were always named after cars. You had Fiesta, you had Escort, mm. uh, the Hillman Minx. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know you, you know it was it was it was sort of like what I liked about Escort is it had a cover that folded out three times, and so the so other boys said.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Always leaving them in bushes, weren't you, dear? Other mm. uh, <laughs> chaps yeah. I heard The big boys were... put them there uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: for a copy of Nave. Yeah,
3: uh, but yeah, yeah, nice things so.
2: It's almost every week isn't
3: it that we do that? It's so.
2: been every week yes yeah, since we it got has. over uh, the dreaded lurgy. Yes. Oh, since the lurgy hit Britain. Yes. Um, um so
3: if anybody fancies listening to a good old waffle then yeah you can find nice things yeah.
2: Yes. Yes absolutely and and to be honest with you Tyler one of the things about it is that it's sort of like I I really enjoy doing it. Mm, I can't mm. tell you how much I enjoy doing
1: mm. it. I can, you can tell. You can mm. tell. If yeah. You, if you're yeah. going through the motions, you can tell, can't you? And, uh, oh, yes. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't yeah, yeah. do it. I no. couldn't
2: do it. If it got to that point, you know, we'd have to stop. Yeah. Because it's it's just, well, unless it was paying an awful lot of money, in which case yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd be lashing things together and having more fun on stage than the audience, as yeah. Spike did. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Mm. Why not? Um, no, it's it's great fun. Mm. And, and it, it's been so much so gratifying for people literally when you've sort of gone to bits and bobs of events that we've had over the last year or so you know to say oh it's great to meet the, f- the fine and you're like wow and these people listen to it mm. you know what i mean and they have little routines around it because it's not got a huge listenership or a huge viewership i think it's something like i'd have to have a look paul's mm. good at this sort of
1: thing
3: no, I, we, you know, there's, uh, we've got a, a few thousand on the downloads and we yeah, got a few that's hundred. Right, yeah. yeah. But um, but we do get people, we've had a bit of fan art made for us, didn't we? That's we had, right. Yeah. Which was yeah. a bit odd. That was mm. nice. People running polls on you, licking dust and things like that about you should <laughs> I've lick I've not dust. seen that. Oh, well, there's one seen on Twitter that. saying, oh, you know, I've um, seen that. Do you lick dust? Are you a, are you a, a hard Northern or a southern ponce? And,
2: uh, <laughs> I have a, not seen that.
3: I yeah, love <laughs> to go and look. Yeah, it's rather nice to see that. So, so yes, yeah, it's, it's um, a weekly a weekly roundup of nonsense. And uh, what do you describe it as in the opening? I can oh, never remember. That, that's
2: Oh, in the opening, the antidote to modern living.
3: That's it. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's yes. the antidote to modernity and all mm-hmm. the yeah. nonsense that comes
2: with mm. yes um did you listen to last week's Tyler I did yes I I absolutely love the way I was sort of going on about the the metaphysical substructure of reality <laughs> and how that our brain our consciousness maps onto that and how the world orientates itself around our goals and all this and I finished it and he and he's just like that all I can think of now is this Leonard Rossiter thing with the hippo and it's just yes. like. <laughs> that was just like, you know, talk about pricking my bubble of pomposity. <laughs> yeah,
3: that series I mean, now exists in my head. Oh, no, I know canvas. it does. I
2: know oh, it yes. does. And Ego the hippo and he's having a midlife crisis. So in that's many it. ways, it actually links to what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. A, couple,
1: a couple of mates of mine, they came up with a fantasy sitcom. Mm. Right. They got to the point of writing a theme tune and it was called Hearty Breakfast. It was like a, a greasy spoon cafe. Mm. Uh, frequented by um, near-do-wells, and um, the central character was played by Roy Baraclough, mm, Right, good. Um, and it was kind of like, almost like an unofficial sequel to Mother's Ruin. I don't know if you remember Mother's Ruin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it was starring Russell Harty.
2: Oh, I would have loved that. that. Would have been good. <laughs> I had Stratford John's in my head for some reason. <laughs> oh, I love a bit of Stratford John's oh yes in four to doomsday mag well he's just a giant frog very uncomfortable i know
3: well as a
1: kid georgia georgia mildred movie he's in that isn't he oh Oh,
2: god that's awful
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is so
2: so bad Mm. um the youth of joyce is well she is close to death there isn't she Mm. um Mm. i think she's only 50 odd
1: though yeah 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 yeah
2: and dudley sutton As the (laughs) Hells Angels fella. Um, No, it's truly awful. It's not as awful as the Rising Damp movie. Beck and Sale replaced by Christopher Strong at the last yeah. minute. Uh, and, yeah. and it's three episodes remade and glued yes. together. And then they haven't even got the great theme tune. It's like Rising damn, <laughs> it's going to get you all. It's like <laughs> disco theme. It's awful, absolutely mm, awful. Mm. Um, and that's a great example of what Paul was saying. How, you know, I think that we, we, we just like the wobbly. So we don't cur. It, it makes the actors work harder and we love it more.
3: It does. It, it's love. We we use that word yes. a lot, isn't it? It's love. I mean, this is why I love Crossroads. The yeah, it's total crap. But there's you can tell that they're loving making that show. Absolutely loving it, and and that comes across. And um, we don't have that now. Again, we, we we make things by committee, and we there's no time for love. I'm afraid, and we need to get that back.
2: I would. Although say. I am I am dragging Paul back into. Um... The world, the real world of, of I'm dragging Paul back to the world of love. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, I'm making him making him direct some things for some me. Forcing me to um, direct a film is terrible. Forcing so. him to direct a film. Oh, yes. Yes. So not one yeah. of those films. No, no. <laughs> there the, the will Probably be yet. love. Yes. Um, but um, no, so um, what I want to do is to do the same thing with television as the hauntology people have done with music. Mm. And I think that the affordability of technology now and the coalescence of people willing to uh, collude with a lunatic like me on a vision, um, it means it's ripe. And I think that with all these things, I think that once a lunatic like me is like makes prods and, and drags and coerces and cajoles and forces people to do things, to make nice things. Mm. Then once they've made one, they'll want to make more. Mm. And then they'll want to make their own. And then there are more. We are legion. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so once there are a, a, like a couple of, you know, 50 people making their own thing, it become, you know, with the same coming from the same source and with the same philosophy, mm. um, not necessarily just retreads of what went before, but a, a, an evolution of that ethos. I think then you've got a chance of rescuing it. But I, I just, want, I just want to make
3: a start. new series of The District Nurse with Neresis. You News. just
2: want to make Hippo on campus. I so, want Hippo's
3: Campus. Mm, I want to make that. Hippo's absolutely. Campus.
2: Well, we yes. will do, but you've got to make my things first. All right, I'll make and your then, things and then we'll who, do Hippo's I'm Campus. About to make, I'll make it tomorrow with you, Paul. You know what I mean? It's just right. like, You know what I mean?
1: But, <laughs> so, uh, uh, remind me, how'd you cast Frances Tour as the female lead? We went with uh, Olivia, uh, Olivia Coleman Col- Olivia playing. Coleman. But Ralph she's Fiennes.
3: playing Francis Delatour who's playing yeah, yes, the secretary. Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. And we went with Ralph Fiennes for Leonard. Yeah, he, um, now yeah. Len- li- li- we didn't update Lionel Jeffries as the voice of the hippo, though. Oh, Lionel mm. Jeffries. I no. think oh. potentially we could have Timothy West. Hmm. Yes, uh,
3: as Lionel Jeffries, as the as hip-ho. Lionel Jeffries. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah i go yeah.
3: with yeah. that. Just, I'm, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just on Lionel Jeffries, Paul. I'm, I'm making a oh how see I'm making a gross <laughs> assumption here. Let's go for it,
2: yeah. <laughs> Was it two-way stretch? That's a Two-way stretch, I think,
1: is this seller's best. Uh, it's wonderful,
2: white, isn't it? Bernard Cribbins spent like two years in a cell
1: in in the 60s in films. Yeah. He's in a cell in that. He's in a cell
2: in <laughs> Dalek's Invasion Earth. He's, he's in a cell in so many. He's,
1: the, he's in a cell at the end of Wrong Arm of the, of the Law, I think, as well. Exactly. Uh, mm. um, but no, Paul... I imagine that for you, the the sort of the um, epitome of uh, 1970s British filmmaking is that scene from The Railway Children, where Jenny Agatha sees Ian Cuthbertson on the railway platform and shouts, Daddy, my daddy. Yes. Oh,
3: (laughs) oh, that's wonderful. I I adore that, and it's Ian Cuthbertson, for God's sake. And you, you have to love that.
0: Daddy, my daddy!
1: Uh, listen i've been extremely entertained and I'm, I'm so grateful for you both for coming on and it's been great and uh people will have listened to this and as, as you say if you want to hear more of this kind of stuff please seek out nice things mm-hmm. um and um all i can say to you both is paul michael thank you very much absolute pleasure. pleasure thank you so pleasure, much it's been mate. lovely thank you thanks again to michael and to paul thank you for listening please rate and review on itunes uh Nice, juicy five stars, please. And um, if you haven't heard all the shows, we have a back catalog of 40 plus for you to uh, delve into. So so please uh, check those out. Anyway, I will be back next week with a brand new guest, brand new subject. Until then, bye. Trim that down to a nice more lean Aaron 15 or something. <laughs>